better, smarter, faster. The future of connected healthcare relies on a powerful digital ecosystem and robust neural network to drive better diagnostics, intelligent operations, and seamless care anywhere. Join us as we talk to the experts about transformational roadmaps for this evolving landscape. What's working, what's needed, and how we get there together. Welcome to Healthcare On Air, presented by Verizon. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Healthcare On Air by Verizon. I'm your host, Robin Goldsmith. And as we we're in the first quarter of 2024, I wanted to take some time to look back on 2023 and then look forward all around the trends that we saw last year and what we think is going to be most prevalent this coming year. And to have this conversation, I couldn't think of anyone better than my good friend, Matt Cebulski. He's an author. He's a podcast host. He's an expert for everything healthcare. And he has a unique perspective as he gets to talk to folks across the continuum of healthcare. Dr. Matthew Cebulski, welcome to the show. Robin, just call me Matt, but it's good to be here, my good friend. <laughs> we've uh, We've been hanging out for a while now, you and me. We have, we yeah. have. So I know you you make the rounds across you know the different stakeholders in healthcare. So like I said, you know I wanted to pick your brain about 2023. What were the big trends that you saw in healthcare that were most prevalent, and then we can shift to what you see moving forward. So any initial thoughts? I mean, I, it seemed like every conference we were both at, AI was. Yeah. Every session, whether they wanted to talk about it or not, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, AI, machine learning, there's lots of talk about what did the capital and digital health end up doing for yeah. digital health. Great big announcements at HLTH about value-based care. Again, how? Um, great talks about Medicaid, psychedelics. Um, there's a huge movement towards GLP-1s and SGLT-2s. Uh, and then where do we take care to the patient at their doorstep? And what is what does that mean for 23? What did we do here, so to speak, yeah. uh, to borrow from Mike Judge? Uh, and then follow into 24, which is, I think, some reckoning time for digital health when it comes to rubber meeting the road, Robin. Yeah, I think that, you know, at, at the conferences, I think one of the things that was kind of a, a buzz was you know the the investments that had made had been made into all these startups and companies i think the, the those companies run rate was was slowly dissipating and and it it was coming to you know we invest made all these investments in hundreds of thousands of companies those that got traction those that really have the value rose to the top and the rest are just you know are fading away quickly and i don't think given the macro environment out there there's just not the appetite to invest like like historically we've seen. What do you think about that? that well, I do I do think there's an appetite to invest for effective products, devices, and services. Uh, the question is who's that who's that been? Um, I also think the cost of business changing the way it has with volatility kind of staring us in the face has changed what two years, fifty billion dollars of investment was capable of doing in the long term. You know, I don't know if this is like the greatest time to talk about who didn't make it, but what's interesting is um, there are firms who are sort of rising to the top with tools that have become what we consider effective, um, but we're still sort of stuck in this condition-based services model, um, and those do have valuations, 
but the 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 idea of like a product or a device or a service or a firm really coming to a group of patients population health sort of model um, doesn't seem to in my mind to have emerged yet as having this big huge winner in front now uh, Puneet Soni, who I'm a huge fan of, he's a CEO of a company called Suki.ai. In fact, he was former colleagues with Sundar Pichai at Google. He said the next big company, the next big Fortune 500 sort of behemoth that comes along, that's our darling in the West. We love our, you know, our business darlings that emerge, become these unicorns, and then become static and really important for like the culture and the identity of business in the West. Um, he says the next big one of those is going to come in healthcare, and I do believe him. I do still think that there is this incredible barrier for bureaucracy, variability, talent, even platforms that we decide to deliver this on as a big challenge. Now, he's right. I think healthcare is the biggest market still to be disrupted. But when you have small changes like the Apple Watch, for example, being in dispute, and yeah. something like a simple pulse ox isn't available anymore... It's a step backwards. Um, I wish I had a crystal ball. If I did, I'd probably be, a, be on MSNBC or CNBC with Kramer and the boys. You know? <laughs> hey, this is how we're going to solve this problem. Invest here. I don't have that. Um, the last three years have been, to me, the most exciting I've ever seen in healthcare because it's real dollars and real talent kind of stepping in and saying, this is really messy and strange. Why don't we try it this way? Yeah. Um, so as far as which ones are emerging that are going to end up being ahead and winning everything, I'm not quite sure yet, but I do know that there is a restructuring occurring, uh, where value is. And I think that has to keep going in that direction in order for us to measure and see what we change beyond value-based care and even beyond pharmaceutical tech, which I don't want to take away from has been astounding with GLP ones and SGLT twos. But if we look on the tech side, I think we're still sort of looking for our darling, so to speak, Roman. Yeah, T two last points, and then we, we can kind of move to what you're seeing uh, this year, uh, as we're still in the in the first month of 24, if I can believe it. Um, <laughs> it feels like it feels like a lifetime in these first three weeks. I'm so busy. I've had so many phone calls, and so I mean that makes me feel good. Something out there is happening finally. Q3 yeah. and Q4 were sleepy times, man. Gotcha. Um, so you brought up value-based care a couple of times. So, and 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 you also talked about this is the most exciting time you've seen in healthcare. I would hundred yeah. percent agree. I always say the same thing. Like, I think if anything out of the pandemic, it kicked open the door for innovation and and proved that we could do things quickly um, out of necessity. Right? We could actually do things quickly that people had said, ah, we'll, we'll get to it. But when push comes to shove, they had to do it. They could actually. Put that change. I mean, telemedicine prime example everyone points to. But do you think we we made any strides in value based care to get to where we need to to get to? In I think we've made some strides on our capabilities to get there. Yes, and I do think AI, machine learning are the tools that are doing it. Um, I don't know if you remember, and I'm sure you you do. Um, big data, big data, big data. Everyone had it plastered on the PowerPoint, on the brochures, on the websites every social media account, big data. We would have panels, people talking about big data. And big data was just like fancy regressions. But machine learning and AI is real. There's obvious real movement with tools, open.ai, Cohere. I was at the Oracle Healthcare Conference and we talked a lot about what the software capability for AI and machine learning is, and it's real. 
if you consider what value-based care really needs, massive amounts of data tables all put together, aggregated claims data and non-standard data, right? Consumer-based data, which in the United States, we arguably have more of than anything else. Yep. Being able to really interpret that with AI machine learning tools telling us what's what some meaning is here, right? Beyond the capability of me and you alone running statistical regressions on data tables, which is really complex and messy and difficult for just a team of analysts to do. Um, that platform model is starting to become real. Uh, I've seen some really interesting products coming out of even the underwriting space, the former property and casualty space being reconfigured for healthcare and machine learning in order to get really precise and very accurate about forecasting disease onset, disease exacerbation, um, and then companies being able to take that information and creating a countermeasure for a group of patients, an insurance company, even pharmaceutical company, pinpointing who might need this drug and when and who doesn't need this drug, even more importantly, and why not. Uh, that to me has become has a lot of traction. I think this year it's gonna you're gonna see it explode, mostly because um, you know CMS is uh, coming down with some really intense narratives and regulation on value-based care and what insurance companies need to do uh, and what they their expectations are, for example, for Medicare Advantage firms on how to leverage value-based care. So AI and machine learning tools, the capability has me really excited. Now I'll tell you, Robin, uh, beyond that excitement of the tool capability, there's this chasmal gap between being able to forecast, diagnose, get a sense of a group of patients and what their illnesses may or may not be based on interesting non-standard data that's available for all of us yeah. and doing something to change that. To me, that's been a big gap since we all saw research come through with preventive medicine 20 years ago. It's beyond being able to say what's making someone ill or giving them a propensity to illness and then be able to work with a patient through a model that gets them to do something different or changes a behavior or God forbid, a system, something like nutrition, exercise, yeah. um, how we spend our days and our nights dictates how we live the rest of our lives. Um, that is still a chasmal gap. So we can identify nutrition. We can identify a lack of fitness. We can identify a propensity in a genetic model for an onset of disease, God forbid. But how do we get to the patient and create a system, a tool, a device, or a service that helps them to help themselves make modifications? Uh, and then keep in mind, there are human incapabilities based on where you are in the yep. world, geographically, financially. And um, that's what makes all this so complex. But does the capability for software with AI and machine learning have me very excited? Do I think we're really, really close? Yes. In fact, you and I talked before the show about me and Ann Snowden and a conversation she and I had about that very, very topic. Yep. No, I, when you think about all the data that is just overwhelming. I, I think, I don't know what the stats are, but healthcare kicks off the most amount of data in, in any industry, arguably, right? And But how to glean the insights, disease prevention, all those, all those amazing, profound things that you touched on that can really impact patients' lives and get the right diagnosis in a timely way. I mean, it's just so impactful. Um, so yeah, I, I'm incredibly excited about that. Um, all right. So Me let's- too. <laughs> so let's yeah, yeah obviously like i just went on this long long thing one thing i want to say also for this next question prior authorization okay mm. 
and even something as simple as scheduling and being able to use AI machine learning databases to get a sense of what are you encountering with that patient before you walk into the clinic, before, before you go uh, do an exam. There's, there's tools and dashboards that AI machine learning can give us a sense of before we ever talk to that patient, giving us a great sense of what their needs are um, before we diagnose a thing. So that's yeah. really exciting. Absolutely. And you brought up another point, you know, access and not everyone has the equal right. access that you and I do. And I think health equity was second probably to AI, but every conversation I had was how do we how do we provide better access? How do we give, you know, the folks that, you know, worst case scenario, they're using the ER as their primary care outlet. Yeah. How do we prevent that? How do we get folks in rural environments, technology to do remote visits so they don't have to drive 150 miles to see a primary care doc when it's really not needed? That was probably one of the trends that I saw in 23 that that caught on and just became a priority for healthcare systems. Did you, you I'm sure you saw the same thing. Yeah, and it'll continue to this year. I'm speaking at South by Southwest on this topic, believe it or not, on tech equity. Uh, I'm far from what you would consider an expert for it, but it is a question that lingers in my mind as well as yours and many other leaders in this industry, which is if we've gotten so good at bringing care to the doorstep of many through our tools, services, devices, uh, how are we doing with that? And are we crossing that barrier to really help people who can't be mobile or it's too expensive for them to seek care so they just don't do it, yeah. right? The purpose of all of this is making it more accessible, more affordable, more tangible in the hands of many, right? That's the magic of what the internet was for us initially, right? Was this long tail of supply touches everyone, right? The Bezos theory of retail applied to healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, I do think we have an obligation just because we can, that we ought to. And uh, that is also a chasmal gap that I'm hoping that yeah. some people maybe smarter than me and more powerful than me can help close this year. Absolutely. All right. Well, on that note, 2024, we're in it early days, but from the folks you're talking to, because you just, you know, you have Ann Snowden, amazing conversation. Oh, man, yeah. That was a great episode. Well, how does it feel to be on the other side of the the mic? <laughs> oh, me? Oh, man. Well, with you, since I know you, I'm nice and calm. But usually when I get interviewed, I'm just a mess. I'm really nervous. Can you tell? Um, no, no. Great. No, um, it feels great. Yeah. Yeah. T uh, did you uh, did you hear that topic of digital minimalism with that episode? I did. I did. Um, yeah. Speak, speak more, more about that. Cause I know you have some great thoughts on that. You know, my thoughts on that are really interesting. And I think with where you sit is also sort of part of the concept of your, your mission, which is, you know, digital minimalism is this idea that we don't get controlled by the tech around us, but that it's integrated into like human life and human interaction. One of the themes that I use a lot in my consulting and also my speaking is, um, humans are emotional creatures, right? Before we're logical creatures. So technology connecting to our emotional lives and being almost invisible to us is where the uh, gains and benefit and outcomes start to matter the most. And I think that's really true in healthcare as well. And she and I kind of talked about this, right? Like, is it more screens that we need or is it more interoperable, more uh, interlaced sort of technology to help us through our day? I think it's the latter. Yeah. Um, and what's really important, I think, with something like Verizon, just for example, throwing it out there, 
communications I should just expect start to happen. I don't really notice it, right? For example, like there was a time when doing what we're doing here would be outrageous, would be outrageous. And now it's like, oh, what time is this thing? I better shave, I better put on a coat and a scarf and be ready for Robin. I don't think, hey, is my um, Wi-Fi going to work? Is my landline working landline? Is my cable going to be connected to my house? Am I going to be able to talk to Robin who's 1,800 miles away from me without interruption? Well, the answer is I don't think about it anymore. So what analogously can we find in healthcare tech in the home that would be the same? Uh, to me, that's what digital minimalism is. I'm able to live my life in a high-quality way, maybe even self-monitor myself and yeah. get updates and insights on how to change my life in a way that keeps me healthier or reduces the exacerbation of a disease I might already have. I'm pumped about that. And Anne actually had some great answers in that episode. She's a lot she smarter was, than me. Yeah. She, you know, I, I always love it when someone breaks it down so clearly, like yeah. it just made complete, it was just so, she just had a way of just speaking that it just made sense. Like, you know, why did nurses have to be constantly hammered with alarms, alerts when they're sure. not needed? You know, it, it, fatiguing. it's absolutely fatiguing. And, you know, that's another topic, but how do we provide that minimalism? And when you, you have me on the your podcast, you know, I think one of the, I, I just listened to Dr. Uh, Kay Nakagawa from UC Davis at HIMSS that year. And I loved what he had to say. He was like, this tech, like you were saying, is just going to happen in the background. It's going to be, it's, we won't think about it, right? And that kind of leads me to think about the rise of sensors and cameras and things that, you know, we don't want to make be creepy about it, but these things can have profound implications for fall detection, just general awareness of your condition at any set point in time, and you won't think about it. And then you, you talk about, you know, voice activated technologies, these things are just accelerating and adoption and, and, you know, evolving as we speak. And I think that's going to be a huge benefit to patients and, and do exactly what you said it, that tech is just going to happen in the background. We won't think about it. Um, one of the most important things that Ann Snowden said when I spoke to her was, does this technology help the nurse or the provider or the family member or the patient achieve their goals of care. To me, integrated tech doesn't stop the goals of care, which is discharge, which is healing, which, or in some cases, nurturance and compassion. Yep. Um, I, I really think everyone should think about that. Um, Chris Larkin, who the former CTO of GE, who's now um, an executive with Concord Technologies, he said something really profound at a conference that Hims put on in San Diego recently in the same vein. And he said, do not talk to clinical staff about AI machine learning if you're not including conversations about the patient or the person delivering the care. Immediately, you're going to lose that team. I think the same is true for the audience of the country with AI machine learning and healthcare in general. If it doesn't include a conversation for the patient or the care team, you're really skating on thin ice when it comes to adoption and purpose. I really yeah. like that for any mission of any firm that's hearing this conversation. And Ann Snowden carries that torch. So does Chris Larkin. They really do. Okay, we're going to pause the conversation there and pick it up with Matt Cebulski next week. In the meantime, you can find all of our content wherever you find your podcast. So Google, Apple, Spotify, and you can find video versions of every episode at Healthcare on Air by Verizon. 
In the meantime, be well.